You are entering the Freedom Hut. The war on coronavirus continues, but we're going to call it the Wuhan virus from now on here in the Freedom Hunt. We'll have all the latest, everything we need to talk about coming up. This, this is the Buck Sexton Show, where the mission, mission is to decode what really matters with actionable intelligence. One Make no mistake. America, great. you're a great American again. The Buck Sexton Show begins. Former CIA analyst. Former member of the NYPD. He's a great guy. It is Buck Sexton. Now. Welcome to the Buck Sexton Show, everybody. We are still doing it from the studio here in New York City. You may see some changes for those of you that watch on Pluto. You may hear a slightly different, uh, slightly different tonality, I guess, uh, in terms of the technical aspects of the show, because we, we may be setting up in a, a remote Freedom Hut location in the relatively near future. The show will still be exactly as it is in terms of the content and everything else, but uh, things are getting pretty uh, pretty edgy here in New York City. People are concerned, and I've been talking to friends all across the country. Look, here, here's the reality. I mean, this is, a, this is a news commentary show. We do a lot of other stuff here, too. Uh, we're going to talk about this, and we're going to be talking about this story for the next at least 30 days, you got to figure, probably the next 60, and, and who knows how much longer than that. So we are in a, a new phase. And that's why talking about it in terms of of a war or, or an ongoing major conflict that pulls at, at everything in our society, and that that's where we are. And, you know, we're going to talk about the most serious and most concerning aspects of it. We're going to discuss the things that make all of us nervous. Uh, we're going to look at government response, the politics around this, unavoidable and we're also going to have a bit of uh, gallows humor, a little bit of, you know, we, we've got to we got to keep our spirits up as we push through this. Uh, I said this to uh, New York last night on W on W O R, um, but I'm saying it to you all as well. I am very very confident that there will come a time in the not distant future when I'll be able to sit here and tell all of you, producer Mark and I had margaritas on a sidewalk cafe after the show last night in Tribeca down here in lower, lower Manhattan. It's actually a beautiful part of, of New York city and the streets are a buzz and everybody's okay. And you know, we're, we got through it. I'm, I'm very confident we will be able to have that. And I look forward to it. I look forward to that day when I can say that to all of you, know, the market's rebounding, it's gorgeous weather. And we, can, and we can start just the food fight over the election and whether it should be Trump or Biden all over again, although that's going to continue. But that day will come, and we'll we'll be able to talk about that and celebrate it together. I, I hope it'll come in June. It might not come until August or September, but it'll be here. It will be here. So I think we all need to remember that. This is not going to be the new normal forever by any stretch. Uh, because right now, man, it's... Uh, People are people are, are rattled. You know, there's all these different pieces that move with this. What are the timelines of the virus spread? How well are hospitals equipped? The information overload that you have right now. I find myself at night reading and reading and reading so much about this that I, I have to force myself to just give give a little bit like an hour of time before I go to sleep so that I don't just go to sleep thinking about Wuhan flu, coronavirus, the Wu flu. By the way, if I say coronavirus again, it's just because that's what's gotten that's that, that's what we're being told to say. But remember, that's that's an incorrect, that's an imprecise way of talking about this. 
And when they say COVID-19, that's not how we refer to diseases usually, right? It would be like asking the general public to re- refer to animals by their by their Latin names, you know, by by those. I think like a great white shark is a carcaridin carcarius. Boom, knowledge. So you know those those are some of the. These are the things that you'll think about constantly before you go to sleep, and then you go to sleep and you wake up, and the streets here in the city are quiet, and this is going to be, and everyone I think recognizes it, because it's the greatest concentration of people living in the closest proximity to each other. You know, Los Angeles is a huge place, but Los Angeles is really spread out. Los Angeles is a city of many cities, and for people to stay home as long as they have access to food and the power's on and everything, that's there's there's less person-to-person connectivity in the day-to-day life there. I mean, here in New York, we are packed together on the streets. We are packed together on the subways. And many of you are like, Buck, why don't you come out to... Maybe this is the turning point. You know, Maybe producer Mark and I need to pull up stakes and move out to, uh, I don't know, somewhere somewhere lovely. Austin, Nashville, Denver. These are all, these are all cities that I think about sometimes. But... That's for when we get through this. Unfortunately, we are right in the middle of this. We are dealing with a uh, a national emergency that is going to test us in many, many ways. And I, I think that it's important for all of us that we understand that, that we're willing to speak to the anxieties of the moment, that we talk to each other, we support each other, we see the good that we can in people around us, and just... You know, I I hate stay calm is like telling somebody to calm down when they're upset and it never works. You tell people to stay calm and it it immediately, at least in my mind, evokes somebody who's saying that as as everybody's like scrambling for the lifeboats or something. Stay calm and everyone's running for lifeboats. We really are going to be okay. And I, I think that, you know, there are a lot of ways everyone's now making decisions based upon what they think of as a certainty about where this is all going. You know, they think they know that. uh, Fill in the following things, right? They think they know if A happens, B happens. I mean, I've got to tell you, just think about it this way. You know, there are so many people who all they do is look at the direction of the stock market, the trajectory of different different companies and what their earnings reports are going to be. And... Here we have Mother Nature just saying, yeah, you guys think you know what's coming. You think you understand the future. You understand what the plan is. You're wrong. Things change. They change very rapidly, and people don't don't see it coming. I, I look at this as right now, in the next two to three weeks, we're, we're more or less going to know if we are, if we are entering an even more um, dangerous phase of this situation. Um, based on all the different projections, you know, we also have to have to look at the the failure now to get testing kits out. Now, now testing kits are not the answer to everything. I think this has been an interesting area where there's there's real concern and there's also room for real criticism here. The federal government, run by the Trump administration, on this one did not execute up to standards. Now, I think if you look at it honestly. The CDC and federal regulations and the federal bureaucracy, which I know, I worked in it, I understand it, moves very slowly, a lot of red tape, and there's a a, a tremendous amount of what I call bureaucratic sloth. People, you know, 10% of the people in these organizations do 90% of the important work. 
And that's that's just the truth. I mean, I know people don't like to hear this, but and I'm sure it's the, the same thing with the CDC. But the testing kits for there to be at this stage a manufacturing defect. I mean, Dr. Fauci has even said that uh, this is a failure. OK, so we're, we're past now. Oh, no, Buck, you can't say no, no, it, it's a failure. And that's real. But let's also understand. All right. So testing gives you a better sense of where you can try to contain this. But keep in mind that the disease, as we understand it right now, and I'll get into why it is important that we call it the Wuhan virus. Uh, some people are also calling it as shorthand the Wu flu. I, I leave that to them. I may say that sometimes, too. I think that it's important that we also don't allow this thing to become this uh, this this beast that that haunts our every our every waking moments, you know, that that creates this anxiety, anxiety and fear become their own. Uh, become their own enemy in this whole process. It's so easy for all of us to just succumb to, oh, gosh, you know, I, I mean, I made a look and I am going to have some gallows humor. Please understand. I'm here right in the center of this. I've been in a high risk population for trans for for getting the disease in the sense that I'm in New York City. This is where there's the most cases so far, I believe, are in New York State and the New York City area. I'm on the subway. I have loved ones who are in the age risk category that I'm thinking about every day, all the time, that I'm trying to make sure that they're, you know, they're okay. So all of us understand the severity of this here, but it also does us no good once we've dealt with the real facts and the day to day and what we know and and new information to act like this thing gets to control us. This thing gets to be haunting our, our every waking and even sleeping moment because oh my gosh what's going to happen you're reading these projections i'm sure there's been a spike look i've downloaded uh, a, a few books on the spanish flu although sonia shaw's book called pandemic is something that i read on my own about a year or two ago and i have to say it was very helpful in the early days of understanding before everybody was talking about this so much exactly what's going on here and i'll also tell you when you're looking at at projections um and and trying to understand what the future will hold everybody who studies pandemic disease has effectively been saying now that we would be in this position at some point in time and that it would happen almost exactly the way that it does these diseases originate in china uh, not all diseases but these influenzas and these upper respiratory diseases and it has to do with my usually migratory fowl often ducks the migratory fowl population, and then there's the uh, there's the transfer of a virus that might not even do anything bad to the ducks, but that virus can be transferred to pigs, and pigs are are animals that have a lot of similarities. So many, in fact, that you can do some uh, transplants of different tissues, and I believe even some some minor organs from pigs to human beings. Um, that the transfer from the ducks to the pigs to the humans, this has been the concern. And now I know everyone's talking about a guy who ate bat soup or it was a civet or it was, I don't know, some kind of, there was some other, a pangolin, you know, these really rare animals. And by the way, why are people eating these animals? That is a fair question to ask. But, you know, animals that are, that are in the wild uh, do present new cross-infection opportunities opportunities might be the wrong word cross infection risks and this is what has been they've thought this is the way it's going to be for a long time and now finally we're at this place so we've known this was coming and i'm actually here to to remind everybody of that this this has been known 
for a long time. And, you know, the Spanish flu uh, has, in recent years, because of SARS and MERS, these other upper respiratory infections, has gotten more attention than it has in a long time. But it was only a matter of time before we were at this place. And I will also tell you that when you look at look back, and I'll be discussing the history of uh, Spanish influenza with you as we go forward in the weeks, because this is the this is the news story right now, right? We'll talk about some other things, and you know, I'll make I'll make some jokes about how like every time I push the elevator on the button here in the building, I'm just like, this is like, you know, Russian roulette virus style. Every time I touch a button with my finger, I'm like, oh gosh. And inevitably, when I think about that, too, I end up that finger ends up, you know, I, I, I you know, touch my eye or my nose. I'm, I was, almost did it right now as I'm trying to tell you how I shouldn't do that. That's how much of a habit we're all in. Um, so this is going to be a, a phase of our lives, and it's going to affect major decisions going forward about government. Um, it's going to absolutely play a role in the 20 no matter what it'll play a, a major role in the 2020 election but there'll be other things about this too that i think we all recognize uh what well, we will be able to recognize at least after the fact this is going to change our perception of public health this is going to change our perception of what's uh you know of of globalization of all these different major forces that we tend to have a passive view of these things are just happening we're just dealing with it well there's more than that. We, we can change course on certain things or we can adjust. We can understand that this is not something we want to go through again. Um, and, and, you know, I, I'm going to try to give you as much as I can. And it seems to be right now a, a worst case, best case analysis situation. That's what you're getting all the time. And what I know, and this was just from not that the CIA gets everything right. It actually has gotten a lot of things very, very wrong. And I know that because I used to be there and I could see all the old assessments and go through them. And there's plenty of things the CIA has gotten wrong over time. Uh, but when you study predictions, especially predictions about major political movements or predictions about things like a pandemic, you know, everyone focuses on worst case, best case in the beginning. And then it turns out, and you know where this is going, to usually be something in the middle usually tends to not be the, the very worst case, tends to not be the best case scenario. Uh, so I, I'm going to give you those two ends of it and hope that we can draw toward what is the most likely outcome here. Um, I think, I mean, he, here's what I, uh, Producer Mark, I, did I did I give my little, oh, no, I didn't, because I remember, I, so a friend of mine asked me yesterday here in New York City, uh, and by the way, you know, Mar Mark and I are in it. Like, we're here in the midst of all this. You know, he's taking public transport to get here. I've been taking public transport to get here. They might shut that down. There might be changes about that. We might have to get producer Mark a helicopter or a limousine or something. We'll find we'll find a place for that in the budget. But uh, the, the a friend of mine asked me yesterday, what do I think is really going to happen? And I wrote this out without even thinking about it. And it was one of those moments where I realized, uh, well, this isn't I wrote it to somebody thinking, this is just, if you ask me, like if you held a gun to my head, what's going to happen here in New York, which I think will be replicated in lesser to lesser degrees in other places, what would you say is likely to occur here? Um, and I'll tell you what that is in just a second. Thanks for listening to the Buck Sexton Show podcast. Remember to subscribe on Apple Podcasts, the iHeartRadio app, or wherever you get your podcasts. Yeah, so this is what I, I texted a friend who's clearly very concerned about what's going on here because, they're I mean, they're shutting down. We're, we're in lockdown mode. 
And as long, and my opinion is, as long as we slow the spread of the disease enough so that our medical facilities can handle any influx of the severely ill, and as long as we still have people that are doing critical things, we man, we need people keeping the electricity going, picking up the garbage, making sure the grocery stores have food, uh, you know, keeping the internet on. I mean, like there are things that we just need to keep going. As long as those things stay in place. And I believe that they will. This isn't a natural disaster where we've dealt with the, well, it is kind of a natural disaster, but it's not, you know, an earthquake or, a, you know, a, a major hurricane where all of a sudden there's no power, there's flooding, and you have to deal with that. This is a different kind of natural disaster. As long as that all stays in place, that infrastructure stays on, I think we got a pretty good shot of going through a few weeks of lockdown without it turning really ugly. Um, I'm going to get into how it could turn ugly a little bit because we got to understand all aspects of this. And I know there, you know, when I, when I first start, well, well I, I've got so much on this, folks. I mean, I've this is all I think about now every day, really. I mean, this is where I am. Uh, so uh, here, here's what I told my friend that I thought I should share this with you. Things will calm down for a few days, but there'll be a spike in known cases next week when they get a bunch of test results back from the newly opened labs. At that point, people will realize there are thousands of infected here in the tri-state area and at least tens of thousands infected nationally, which means that community spread will be very hard, if not impossible, to contain. That's when hospital admissions will spike. And that's when everybody will really freak out. I think they may shut the subways here down and create quarantine zones in some major cities. NYC will basically come to a standstill for a week or two. Will we be more or less okay by June? Yes, but we're in for an ugly 60 to 90 days. That's where I think we are. That's what I think will happen here. I hope I am wrong, but I think that's a middle path. There are certainly worse outcomes that are out there. We also have to talk about the Chinese trying to put this on America. And there's a great power struggle here that this virus is at the center of. I'll get into that as well. Thanks for listening to the Buck Sexton Show podcast. Remember to subscribe on Apple Podcast, the iHeartRadio app, or wherever you get your podcasts. It goes away. It's going away. We want it to go away with very, very few deaths. Uh, people have, uh, you know, we call it cases. How many cases do you have? Well, relative to other countries, we have very few cases relative to certain of the of the major countries that really have a bigger problem than uh, us. We've offered by the just interestingly, I think we have the greatest doctors in the world. We've offered Iran assistance. Iran is having a tremendous problem. And uh, we have offered Iran assistance. Uh, If they'd like it, we will help them. We'd be glad to help them. So here's a part of this whole discussion that I don't think anybody has answers for, but this is certainly very, um, uh, certainly very important to our understanding of this. You are probably seeing today, uh, you know, there's there's a reason for I think substantial optimism, and then there's a reason for substantial concern, and this is these are the two ideas that keep bouncing back and forth in my head. Uh, you have. Globally, about 140,000 cases, you've got about 5,000 deaths from this, right? So you're looking at a, a global fatality, a mortality rate of around, you know, two to three percent, keeping in mind that established cases are, I mean, when I say keeping in mind, that doesn't get factored into the calculation, but you should keep in mind that confirmed cases are absolutely less than actual cases. There's no way that's not true. 
There are a lot of people that thought they had a cold or just, you know, figured, I don't know what's going on here. They stayed home for a week and now they're going about their lives. They stayed home for two weeks. Now they're going about their lives. There's this analysis right now. And look, the, the Drudge Report has been absolutely pedal to the metal on we should all be as scared as possible about this from the very beginning. Now, some people would say that that's that that's been the correct position at this point. We'll see. I don't think you could say that quite yet because you know, China is a very crowded country with over a billion people. And the cities are, I mean, Wuhan has, I think, eight or 10 million people. How many? Look, I'll admit this. How many even knew anything about Wuhan before the Wuhan virus, which is what we will call it? This is going to be a little bit like undocumented immigrant or undocumented person versus illegal alien. Uh, one one term is more important and more precise, but because you'll hear the other one, you know, people say, you know, undoc- the undocumented, undocumented persons, it starts to seep in your brain. So we've all been saying coronavirus so much that you don't think that I'm backing off of this when I say, if I'm trying to say Wuhan virus, but I say coronavirus, it's really just because, uh, you know, this this is part of the propaganda effect out there. And I don't know why we would call something coronavirus when uh, that's an imprecise way of describing it. And with so many other diseases, we describe it by the first place of known origin. And there's a reason why people it's it's important. This isn't just, uh, you know, getting down to the details and who cares. There's a reason for all of this There's a reason why I think we need to focus on this. But I'm giving you now my and we'll get into the, the politics of this and and everything else. Uh, there's the reason that I see for optimism here is China's got a billion people and they have had what I mean a, a few a few thousand deaths to this point and they've been dealing with the virus for months and they have over a, a population of over a billion and they also suppressed it in the early days uh went after scientists who were trying to get the word out early. I mean, there was a government lockdown on this in a bad way, not meant to protect the public, meant to protect the Chinese Communist Party and the regime. Well, if China, which does have a, a look, I was just in China about a year ago. Trust me, if you were given the option of being in a Chinese hospital or an American hospital, your standard American hospital, you would take 99 times out of 100. So there's no reason to believe that they have a better public health system for dealing with this than we do how how, now and you could also say buck maybe they're lying about the numbers maybe they're lying about the numbers and i say yeah i mean that's that's certainly a possibility too and so you know if we don't trust their numbers I, i don't know you know they did put the virus sequence out there so people could start developing tests for it but if they don't put the numbers out or rather if we can't trust their numbers i don't know how we can really even analyze the, China, the situation in China. I, I do trust the numbers in South Korea, though. I do trust the numbers in Hong Kong and Singapore, countries that have gotten this under control. But let's focus on China for a second. If, if this disease is as easily transmitted and as dangerous as we've been led to believe by most of the media accounts, isn't it almost, wouldn't we have to consider it almost a miracle? If Chinese numbers are correct, that you only have a few thousand, I mean, I'll give you the updated uh, the updated number as of today, so I can stop just saying, you know, a few thousand. So uh, you have, okay, Italy's coronavirus death toll is over a thousand people. And I'm trying to see what the Chinese coronavirus death toll is. Um, anyway, 
it's it's it can't be more. The overall death toll is five thousand. So let's say you've got you know three thousand roughly dead in China. I think I think that's about what the number is. That's very very small con- considering the entire population of China would have been at risk for this. Um, for weeks and and just free transmission of this for weeks before anybody was doing anything. And I know that they've taken pretty extreme measures to lock this down, but okay, you know, the measures are effectively versions of what we're doing here, cleaning public areas, keeping people home, limiting social interaction, social contact, all this stuff. Uh, So, okay, Why why would we then have to be told, as we are being told, that there's a likelihood in this country, a serious likelihood that we'll have a half a million people dead from this, which is what we're being told by some of these estimates apparently coming from health experts. Now, for that to be true, and I'm not saying it's not true, I don't know. No one can predict the future. You know, that's one of my one of my most important. They're saying 150 million Americans could get infected. Okay, well, 150 million Americans getting infected, if you have a mortality rate of 2 or 3%, you're going to have a few million people who die. you got a billion Chinese, and we're months and months into this. It's supposed to spread very quickly and have a very rapid onset. Most people develop symptoms within days of exposure, they believe, although there are these other, you know, there's all these competing theories and stories out there for medical professionals. Taking a step back for a moment, this is just also... You know, doctors, nurses, they do all these amazing things, and they're, they are on the front line. They, they are the, you know, the Praetorian Guard, or actually, no, more than that. The Praetorian Guard is usually in the back. They're the front line soldiers. They are the Marines of this war. They're the grunts of this war against this, this virus. I mean, they're the, they're the ones that are right there taking it and, and, and dishing it out to the other side. This, uh, this time, the other side is a, is a virus, but... There's a lot that med- modern medicine doesn't know. I think we have generally been led to believe because of the, some of the amazing things we can do with cancer treatments and that modern medicine has more answers than it does. There are a lot of big questions out there that you know, the medical community still is. I know they're trying to answer them, but they don't have answers to. You know, and if you want a very low level a very low level uh, version of this and something far less serious what we're talking about here just go into a doctor and say you know you have IBS and you, you, doctors will give you 50 different reasons for it and 50 different things you can do about it and you know it's kind of like good luck sorry about your IBS right then that's just a but millions and millions and millions of people have that in this country I think it's they estimate 10 to 20 million people suffer from it pretty regularly I don't have answers to that now that's obviously not a pandemic and people aren't dying from it but I'm just saying there's a lot that, that modern medicine doesn't know yet. And when you see all these different analyses from people in the medical profession or, or estimates or guesses, you start to think, uh, okay, what do, we really, what do we really know here? What do we really have an understanding of? So the upside, the, the big upside that I see is that you've had not only slowed transmission rates in other countries, so it is possible to slow this thing down. That's good. But also that in China, you've had really, relatively speaking, so few deaths in total that uh, it makes me think, well, can't we expect there to be a, a similar, if not better, outcome here, especially because we're taking these precautions? Again, I don't know. I do. And, and now, so that's on the good side of things, right? And the good side of things. And as you know, 80% of people, they keep repeating this, 80% of people get a relatively mild disease with some 
you know, flu-like uh, or cold, really more like cold-like symptoms. It's well, you get a fever. That's not really so much with a cold, but you get a fever and you get uh, a dry cough. Those are seem to be the two most common. Definitely the fever and usually the dry cough, and uh, it can it can linger. Now on the on the on the side of greater concern, um, I would say a, a couple of things. One, we keep seeing this. 140,000 people worldwide have um, gotten the disease, confirmed to have gotten the disease, and 60,000 have recovered. Okay, that's less than half the people that have had the disease. Now, does that mean that 80,000 of them have just gotten the disease in the last couple of weeks, and so they're not yet confirmed? That's possible. But I, I do have concerns that maybe this illness can linger longer than people realize. And that's also where you get into the how long are people going to be contagious with this? And, you know, once you've had it, you know, I suppose you're going to have to wait till you get a negative test back before you really know that you don't have the risk of, of uh, making contagious for anybody else. Now, that's that's where I think we really are with this that we need to figure out what the incubation period is. And there's the possibility when viruses react differently with different people. And this is this has always been the case. There are a lot of viruses that people show no symptoms for that there's still something called viral shedding that goes on, which means that you're, in whatever way you're transmitting it, your you know, little, little viruses are getting out and you can still give it to somebody. Uh, so that's why, you know, there, there's, a, there's some uncertainty here. Next week, I think we should all be prepared for this, and I want to say this to you now. And I, I've, what was it, a few days ago, I said, "Look, I think we're going to have some days." And then the next day, I was like, "Yep, we're having a day where we got to batten down the hatches and and get ready for the squall that's coming." Next week is going to be a bad week for this, so I want us to all get. And by the way, don't you know? Don't this weekend give yourself a break. I mean, I'm going to do the same thing. I'm, I'm telling producer, well, producer Mark's actually moving this weekend, so he unfortunately, dude. We, we are all, we, I just want to say, I know that people, like, this is a global pandemic or whatever, but you have to deal with the global pandemic, too, uh, and you are moving your home yes. this weekend. And when all the rumors were coming out, my wife was freaking out that, like, they were going to shut down the roads and shut down the transit system, and it, it was bad. Yeah. I'm just hoping tomorrow happens. Yeah, I, I think you're good for tomorrow. It's better that it's tomorrow than next week. Yes. But I'm starting to moving. You know, I've moved far too much in life. Unfortunately, I've just, for different reasons, for jobs and for, you know, things i've moved too many times moving is very stressful so every so i understand the stress of ever that everyone feels right now particularly in this city because we know there are people walking around with coronavirus we know that cbs had to shut down its uh, offices for a day to do a cleaning i'm also not sure they're I'm not opening say, their offices again for another week oh wow yeah. i just knew they shut it down for the day and yeah. now it's, it's a week so producer mark has friends and contacts that know about what's going on i just focus on the freedom hut I know you do. Yeah. So, yeah, I mean, this is the, uh, you know, this is the way the city is right now. Everyone's very anxious. Everyone's very, um, you know, concerned about this stuff. And, yeah, I, I got to say, right now, this weekend, you got to let yourself be with family, stay home, stay in place. If you have to go out, you have, look, have to means have to, right? I mean, this is the reason I'm here. It's the reason Mark's here. Like, we got to put on a show. We got to be here to do the show. Um, you know, we might figure out some ways to leverage technology so that we don't have to be co-located. Because Mark and I have been talking about this. If one of us is near somebody who thinks they have, if one of us is near somebody who has self-quarantined, then really we have to self-quarantine. 
because if he has to self quarantine, I have to self quarantine, and now we're like, now there's, you know, now we got a big problem because now we can't do the show. So we're gonna try to figure out a way to to be able to keep the show. We're gonna keep the show going no matter what, but we're figuring out the technology in that right now. This is a long way of saying, you know, th- this is. Uh, this is a weekend where you should really take care of yourself, rest. It's important. I know this sounds like you know, advice from fake Dr. Buck or something. It's important for your immune system. It's important that you psychologically give yourself, you know, this weekend is the weekend to binge on Netflix, read that book, calm down, give your mind. You know, you've had to make so many, wherever you are in the country, wherever you are around the world right now, you've had to make so many decisions about this, whether it's whether you're pulling your kids out of school or not, what you're going to do with your kids now that they're home, uh, you know, what you're doing about your investments in the market. And it don't, that's one place. Do not panic. Okay. Don't panic sell. Bad idea. Uh, you know, there, there's, and sell if you want, but don't panic sell. So, you know, there's all these different decisions you've, and you have decision fatigue. You know, your mind gets clouded with what am I going to do next? What am I going to do next? <sighs> this weekend, I'm going to say it. Those of you who pray, obviously, already know you don't need to, you don't need me to tell you it's a good weekend for prayer. I don't mean prayer like, oh my gosh, terrible things are going to happen. I mean pray for that connection to God. But it, it, you know, you can also try meditation. Uh, I'm going to be doing. I am going to be doing a little bit of yoga this weekend. You need to. You've. We've all been absorbing this. We've all been just the last week or so, in particular, pulling in all this anxiety and stress. Stress is very immunosuppressive, and it's also not helpful for you to make the best decisions you need to for you and your family going forward. So, if you have off this weekend, if you're already staying where you are, or if you're in a place where. You know, some of you are like, Buck, I don't see my neighbors, you know, unless I drive, you know, two miles in one direction, right? Well, that's great. And, you know, take this time because next week, next week things are going to get ugly. I'm pretty confident. I'm not certain. I'm pretty confident because that's when everyone's going to realize, oh, the numbers are much higher. The lack of testing has made us think that there are fewer cases than there are. And there's a lot more community spread than we realized. And then they're going to start worrying about, are we going to see the surge in the hospital the week after that? So be prepared. Next week is not going to be a good week. Next week is going to be tough. Rest this weekend. Take care of yourself this weekend. You're in the Freedom Hut. This is the Buck Sexton Show podcast. Dr. Fauci, will there be cities on lockdown in the United States? You know, I don't know. I mean, as I always say, you, you've got to keep everything on the table. You would hope that you did, wouldn't have to resort right. to these draconian moves of actually locking down a city. But it depends on what happens. I hope we never get to that. But you never take anything off the table when you're dealing with protecting the health of the American public. That's a way of saying that we could have whole cities under quarantine, my friends. And this is what I was getting at for be prepared for that next week. It won't be forever. It's and it's also about lengthening out the, the you know, lengthening out what our health system can handle at one time, trying to disperse the cases more on a timeline so that it's not all a big spike at one time. That's why Italy got so just crushed. Um but we could see that, and we could see it as soon as next week. Thanks for listening to the Buck Sexton Show podcast. Remember to subscribe on Apple Podcasts, the iHeartRadio app, or wherever you get your podcasts. 
Well, I think one thing that we need to do is put politics aside, and that's exactly why Democrats have agreed with uh, President Trump on his goals of paid sick leave and his goals of free coronavirus testing. And so all of those things have been included in our package. We bump it up a little bit more, but, you know, in when you have a Democratic House and a Republican Senate, compromise is the name of the game. I think the president's going to have to accept the fact that we're fighting for people who are going to be potentially unemployed. He's going to have to accept the fact that we're going to push on doctor and nurse protections. But also, when you look at the best, you know, the best health care system in the world, that's something that's up for debate. South Korea, we're up to, South Korea has up to 10,000 tests per day. They've been able to provide tests to any single person that wants it. And here, people are scrambling. And it almost seems like the more wealthy and powerful you are, the more able you're able, the more able you are to access a test. But the more, uh, you know, the, the, the rougher road you've got here, it's going to be a lot more difficult for you to access health care. That's exactly the recipe for disaster in a pandemic. Now, AOC, I look, I, I always try to do this and I think I do a pretty good job, certainly better than a lot of other people that think that they work in the media. Um, when something is good or when something is brave or when something is right, I say it. AOC went on Brett Baer. Show. Now, Brett Baer is very fair. He's not an opinion guy. I don't think AOC would sit down with like Tucker because that might, that, which, by the way, would be amazing. Uh, but sitting down with Brett Baer, let's give some credit. She's uh, able to go and sit down and, and do that. When I say able, she's willing to do that. A lot of Democrats, a lot of libs never do that. Won't do it. Won't subject themselves to anybody that doesn't just give them softball after softball and tell them how wonderful they are, which I think is really, it is hurting. It's part of the polarization in this country. It is hurting discourse. I mean, some of you have been asking me, especially given the last time I went on, you know, Bill Maher show. Yeah, they were disrespectful and, and unfair and didn't let me talk, but I'm there. I'm making my points. They act that way. People at least get to see. I'll, I'll argue. I'll, I'll argue the other side. I'll argue my side on anything with anyone, anytime, anywhere. No such thing as like, oh, I can't, unless, you know, I'm not going to sit down with like, uh, you know, members of uh, the Nation of Islam or neo-Nazis or whatever, right? I'm not going to do that, but I'm saying anybody, there's no forum I won't go into for fear of having to deal with the other side. In fact, quite the opposite. I'd go on CNN tonight. I, I, I would go on Anderson Cooper show and talk about the Trump administration's response to this, no problem. They just won't have me because they're afraid that their anchors will get schooled and they will. Uh, so that, that's there's a huge difference, by the way, between one on one versus multi person. When it's multi person, it's just think of it almost like a fight. You know, I don't care how good you think you are as a fighter. If there are four people, and of course, some of you, I'm going to get you know, producer Mark. There's so many jujitsu experts in this audience. You know, whenever I bring this stuff up, they're like, "Buck, I'm a I'm a ninth degree black belt, and I studied in in Kyoto with Sensei, blah blah blah, and I could do like a." And I'm always just like, "Okay, that's good for you, but for the rest of us, if three or four people attack you, I don't care if you're like a strong, tough person, you're going to have your hands full. If three able-bodied males attack you as a guy, you know, whereas." You know, one-on-one, you might think you've got a pretty good shot against a lot of people. Same thing when you're debating. If you're, if you're arguing with four people, because you can't, they're going to have a lot more time to speak than you. There's no equal time. You, what, what, you have something to add to this conversation. I don't know. You, you called me over, so I came over. Oh, yeah. No, I just, I mean, you see in our, in our inbox, I mean, there are people that- Oh, yeah. somebody an expert on everything. We, we had a guy, and, and by the way, I don't, I'm not saying this in anything other than, other than respect. Uh, we had a guy, when I talked about the FFL license, I'm like, one of you is going to write, and we got a whole paragraph about how much an FFL license costs and how you get one. You know, we got, you know, I think there are a few of them, actually. We have a lot of toilet paper experts these days. <laughs> uh, well, we're, well, let's be honest, though. 
we're all kind of toilet paper experts, are we? No human doesn't use it. And if you, you know. do, actually, I want want to hear from you. If you don't use toilet paper, I want. If to hear someone's from you. figured out a better way, yeah. then then I'd be I'd be somewhat curious to see how that goes. So anyway, so AOC, I'm just saying, I I, I respect people for. I can't say I respect AOC's positions or or knowledge about anything, but I respect that she has the gall. And I will say, even even Bill Maher, when I did his show afterwards, he said, "I'm the Sugar Ray Leonard of conservatives," and you know he 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 does give. He doesn't give respect on air to people that he shouldn't necessarily from the right, but he does understand that there are a lot of people that just won't even won't even try, won't even show up, or even worse, they show up and they're like, "Yeah, you're right." You know, I mean, Donald Trump's kind of terrible, actually, and. Yeah, I know. I want you guys to nod your heads and like me. I don't care. Don't like me. That's fine. Lib audience. Doesn't matter. So I'd, I'd rather be right than be loved. Maybe that should be. Hmm. I kind of like that, actually. What do you think? I think, we, I think we'd use that. Um, so. Uh, where was I? Oh, yes. AOC. So there are two worthwhile parts of what she says here. Uh, the first has to do with wealthy people getting tests. Now, I have a friend right now who is receiving, and he's been very vocal about it. I won't name him because I've also been talking to him offline about it. But I have a friend, conservative media, who's waiting for his, uh, see, I almost did it, Wuhan virus. And I need to get into why it's important we call it that. Waiting for his Wuhan virus test. Um, today, I think he's supposed to get it. It might be tomorrow, get back results. And he has been one of these people who's saying that it has been a nightmare to get the test. Like trying to actually get the test. They make it, you know, you're on the align with the CDC, with your healthcare provider. Nobody can figure this thing out, folks, friends. This actually isn't really that complicated. This should be very doable. This is a failing. But before we get into why it's a failing, you have now some very prominent people who have been either confirmed to be in contact with Wuhan virus or are uh, officially confirmed to have Wuhan virus. Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez is on Brett Baer's show, and right around at that point in time, I think uh, it came out that uh, yeah, that was 6 p.m. last night, so I was on WR show. I think that's when we saw that uh, Prime Minister Justin Trudeau had self-quarantined and his wife was showing symptoms. Turns out the Prime Minister of Canada's wife has coronavirus. Um, that I can't, I don't know enough about sports. Producer Mark, do you remember the NBA player who... Has been confirmed with it on the Jazz, right? Is yeah, Rudy Gobert. Rudy Gobert. He has it, right? He has Corona. Yes, virus. and also uh, Donovan Mitchell, who's from Queens, is on the same team as the Jazz. NBA player. Oh, NBA he's got player. It. So two players, and he's a star. Huh. Yeah. Yeah. So we're all stars, though, producer Mark. We're all unique snowflakes made in God's image. Yes, of course. Thank you. We're all special. We're all special. So... That's uh, that's bring and of course Tom Hanks and his wife. People are now thinking, okay, hold on a second. And I believe Bolsonaro, the president of Brazil, the pro-Trump populist president of Brazil, um, he has been tested. He is negative, but somebody in his retinue, one of his uh, people, communications directors, I think, either him or his wife. Has it? I think they believe. You know, it's tough to even keep up with this. But you're seeing, and then oh my gosh, the libs. They all want. They all want to know why President Trump has not been uh, has not been tested for this, and they think that it was casual enough contact between the president and anybody who might have this that it's not necessary. Uh, prominent people are getting this, which is 
I mean, it's bad that anyone gets this, but it is at least raising awareness that anyone can pick this up, that this is a, a just like anyone can pick up a cold, right? doesn't matter who you are. Prominent people can get this. And why is it, though, that they're able to get a test so quickly? AOC brings that up. I will say that it... I mean, maybe that's just a perception. Maybe those prominent people are just able to maneuver the system more effectively because I, I don't know. But I do know that my friend who's been waiting, he's been waiting for uh, over a week to even find out what's going on with this test. And I think it took him a week to get the test. And, you know, that's that's unacceptable. So the testing issue is real. Uh, look, if we had if we had a test sent to the home of every American in the country, let's understand that would be helpful. I'm not going to pretend like that's not helpful to know who has it right now, but it wouldn't mean that we wouldn't have to worry about this, right? It wouldn't mean that we still wouldn't have a surge coming up possibly of, of confirmed cases and there's still community spread. And, you know, you know, so even if you knew who had it, You'd have to know who had it and then know everyone that they came in. They call it contact tracing. And you'd have to do a contact trace of anybody that had come into contact with that person. Because I also don't know if you if you're able to if they're able to pick the virus up before you're symptomatic. I don't know the sensitivity of the test. I mean, there's a lot that goes into this and there are a lot of still unanswered questions. And one well, there was one news once uh, report today. I think does the Miami of I'm sorry, the mayor of Miami, the Miami of mayors. Well, that would probably be really interesting. But does the mayor of Miami have it, or is um, producer Mark? Would you check for me on that one? I think uh, I don't want to ever say that the public figure has coronavirus and doesn't. But I, I, I thought I saw that. There's so many headlines coming out on this. Um, so, am I, am I, yes, he does. Right? Yeah, the mayor of Miami does have it. So that you know has coronavirus. So people are getting this. All right. So we know that there is this problem with the testing, and let's understand this right now. There are going to be discussions about this. This is what the left has focused on, and I see I, see how long I've gone without really making this political. I'm going to try to do that as much as possible, because this is one of the very... People always say, oh, this is not political, when they mean it's very political. You know, it's as political as it gets, you know? Oh, I'm just talking about, you know, access to women's reproductive health. This shouldn't be political. Oh, please. It's very political. This is actually above that. This issue of protecting our vulnerable population. We also we keep talking about vulnerable seniors. Um, it's not just seniors who are in the vulnerable population. And you know, as I've said, the one thing whenever you talk about vulnerable seniors, everybody's got a mom, a dad, a grandma, grandpa, great grandma, great grandpa, great uncle. You know, you know. So even if you're not in that population age wise. There are people, the you know, nearest and dearest people to your heart are. And so that's why everyone focuses in on this and understands this is like, you know, we, we go to war with this virus so they don't touch, you know, grandma or grandpa or anybody else, right? That's that's what we're trying to accomplish here. But it's not even just that age, that age uh, cohort that really has to be on guard. When they talk about uh, comorbidities, this is where everyone starts to think about how you know your your health is so important and you must do everything you can. It is on each and every one of us. Now, I know people get, I have celiac disease, not because I'm a bad guy, right? I mean, people have things that come up. It's not because I made bad choices. It just is. Um, but to the degree, you know, I don't eat gluten. Now, that's what I mean. You, you make the choices you can uh, because if, if you don't, you're just going to play a worse hand. You know, we've all been dealt a hand with our health, but you got to play the best hand you can. Um, there was a very interesting 
I'm trying to find it right now. I'm sorry. There's so much information coming in, team. So if today sounds a little bit less, you know, a little more freeform of a show and a little bit less like I've got this precise. Usually I come in here and I've got three hours of, of topics broken down, you know, issue by issue, content by content. What's the takeaway? I mean, that's how I approach the show. Today, I just feel like we're all drinking from a fire hose. So it's a little more of a as we go. OK, this was on respiratory fitness. I thought this was this was fascinating. And um, for America, you have to put this in the overall plus column in terms of our ability to withstand the spread of this disease. Now, this is from Carl uh, Quintanilla, who is a reporter and anchor at, C- at CNBC. And he says the two most important parameters in respiratory fitness. This really matters, right? Because this disease goes for the lungs, that is that is the the way that this is is taking people, uh, taking them out where they have to go to the hospital, and then even some people don't make it through, don't win the fight in the hospital, even if they have intubation, if they're in the ICU. So respiratory fitness is really really important. And he says the two most important factors in that are one. Now one now one of these is an individual. Look, I I have a lot of sympathy for people that have any kind of an addiction. I get it. Um, but I'm just looking at the numbers here, looking at the aggregate of what we're facing, whether the person smokes cigarettes. It's very, uh, very important when, it, when you're gauging their respiratory fitness. So I, I'm telling you this because, I'm, you know, I, I know there's a lot of team buck that, you're, you know, you smoke and I, I'm just looking out for you. You have to consider yourself if you're a smoker in a higher risk, even if you're a 35 year old or a 30 year old smoker. You got to consider yourself to be in a higher risk category in this. So please take those precautions that people are talking about. I know it's like a little counterintuitive, but if you're a, if you're a longtime smoker, I mean, not if you smoke one cigarette a month or something, but if you're a longtime smoker and uh, you're in your 30s and your 40s and your 50s, you got to think about this like you're this disease is going to come after you very, very possibly like somebody who's in their 70s or their 80s in terms of your lung your ability uh, for your lungs to fight back against this. So you got to be very careful. And the pollution level is the other part of this. That's also a really important indicator for how well. Remember, you know, I, I was in China, uh, as I said, a year ago, and I was I was leaving Shanghai, which usually is not as badly polluted as, as Beijing. And it's it is like something out of a post-apocalyptic movie when the and it was still there and it's apparently a lot better than it used to be, but you can see this, uh, you know, I, I can't even really explain it to you. I mean, it just looks like a collection of smog, and when the sun's going down, it kind of bounces off it in a not appealing way, and you know, you have this this goo that's all in the air. It's just pollution. And I, by the way, I'm all about conservation. I'm, I'm against pollution. I'm just not against CO2, which plants rely on for air. And, you know, that's CO2 is not a pollutant, but we all have to pretend because the, the green movement is insane. Pollution is bad. And I'm all like, no, no, we do not want these, you know, industrial facilities spewing out acrid smoke that, that hurts your lungs. And, you know, we breathe out CO2. So how, how much of a pollutant is it really, folks? Let's think about that for a second. We're, it's literally coming out of your body every second, and we're supposed to think that's, oh, that's pollution anyway. Don't get me started on that. You know, these days, I'll tell you, there's a part of me, I don't know, I'm a little rebel. You know what I'm not doing these days as we're all, like, in lockdown and trying to stay alive and, and worried about our loved ones? No, they can come after me for the not recycling. Sorry, not doing it. It's going right in the trash. 
I'm sorry. I don't want to hear about it. More important things. Recycle. All right. So on smoking and on uh, pollution, the smoking rate and the average pollution levels. Here's what you got country by country. China, smoking rate, 47%. Average pollution level, 41%. South Korea, smoking rate, 49%. Average pollution level, 24%. Iran, smoking rate, 21%. Average pollution level, 24%. Italy, 28 smoking rate. Pollution, 14 United States, smoking, 19 Pollution, 9 This matters. We have a lower percentage of, of smokers, and we have, and this is probably the most important in terms of looking at the aggregate numbers and how this will affect the population of this country overall, we have much cleaner air than these other countries. Now, I know this seems like, how can this really matter? This is, what it all comes down to is, can your lungs get enough oxygen to the rest of your body if and when this thing attacks you? And your lungs, if you are dealing with daily pollution all the time, your lung capacity is affected and the strain on your lungs is already higher. So I'm not, look, this is not like, oh, we're great. It's America. We got clean air. So we're not. No, of course, this has still killed people in this country. I think it just killed the first person in New Jersey. It's killed a bunch of seniors out in Washington state. But we're in better shape than a lot of these countries we've already seen from day one because of the health of our population and because of the age of our population. Italy's population is much older than ours um, as a percentage. And then also pollution. You're in the Freedom Hut. This is the Buck Sexton Show podcast. So I also wanted to get into the testing situation here because we're told a lot about the, the failure in the testing. There's some lessons here about the CDC and about bureaucracy and then also about ingenuity. And there is a, a big focus now that I want to drill down to a little bit about local government, local action, and how if you're relying on the feds, you are going to be waiting a very long time. Local governments are stepping up now in a way that we should focus on. Thanks for listening to the Buck Sexton Show podcast. Remember to subscribe on Apple Podcasts, the iHeartRadio app, or wherever you get your podcasts. Just to give you a little bit of a of a breather, a little bit of a pause in, in all the Wuhan, and I haven't even gotten into the, the reason why we should call it that in China. I keep meaning to, and team, there's so much, and look, we're, we're going to be in this together. We're in this every day until this thing is passed. So, shields high for real. Um, this was a story that I thought was just worth taking a moment to, to look at. Andrew Gillum, you may remember Andrew Gillum. He was a very celebrated by the media uh, gubernatorial candidate for the state of Florida, very important state, as we all know, for a lot of reasons. And he uh, was the mayor of Tallahassee, which, as I understand it, is not a particularly well-run city. It's got a city with some problems. But it turned, and I think now he's a CNN contributor, or he was, because, you know, CNN, if you become a famous Democrat running for office, you know, the, the first thing you move when you move to when you lose is you just go to Jeff Zucker and he starts writing your checks. Uh, turns out that this is breaking news from today. Andrew Gillum was, quote, in an inebriated state, uh, inebriated state on the scene of a possible drug overdose at the Mondrian South Beach Hotel early this morning with clear plastic baggies containing suspected crystal meth. Not only was he the Democrats' 
and he came close to winning. The Democrats' favorite, I mean, the media loved this guy. He was their choice for the governor of California. Uh, I'm sorry, pardon me, governor of Florida. Um, But he also was talked about by some people as a possible VP candidate. And look, if this was like 15 years ago and he was a young guy and this happened and we found this out later, I'd be like, hey, you know, I mean, look, I, I know drugs are bad. ODing is very serious. I get all that. But, you know, I think we're living in a time now where we, we are more forgiving of people's youthful indiscretions than we used to be. Unless it's Kavanaugh. And then we make up indiscretions that didn't happen and we make up assaults that didn't happen. But, you know, in general, I think we're a little bit we're But not if you're being talked about actively talked about as a possible VP candidate, then you probably shouldn't be in an inebriated state at a drug overdose scene at the Mondrian South Beach, a hotel I've been to, by the way, which let me tell you, the party never stops there. That place is, uh, that place is lit, lit um, AF for sure. That's where, that's where the party happens. Um, I'm just telling you, it's a lot of oons, at the Mondrian and at, uh, what's that other, the SLS? Whew, man. You better put your party shoes on if you go to the SLS in South Beach. I can tell you that much. So, uh, Andrew Gillum, we'll see if this ends up being what it looks like. But, um, yeah. Yeah, that's a that's a real thing that's going on right now. That, that, that's a news story for you that has nothing to do with Wuhan virus. Um, okay, so CDC and then Wuhan virus, and then we got to get into some other stuff. The, the CDC is a federal bureaucracy that is vast and bloated and wasteful and spends a lot of time not doing. We all think here. Here's our perception. And it reminds me a little bit of the the movie The Strain, which I'll come back to later, because there's a lot of if, if, if you haven't watched it. I think now is the time to watch that show. I'm just going to say if you haven't seen The Strain, it's kind of about a it's pandemic. That's really also instead of a disease it's a uh, vampire essentially a vampire disease makes people into vampires that's a disease look i'm just if you're going to be self-quarantining or social distancing and you want something to watch maybe it's the worst thing to watch because it might freak you out a little bit because the hero is a guy from the cdc the main character is like the cdc director of you know infectious disease it's basically dr fauci but like a 40 years younger version of him who somehow is also really good with, like, machetes and weapons. But, you know, of course. So, although I bet Fauci, I bet Fauci could throw down if he needed to in the zombie apocalypse. I don't know. I get the feeling, you know, if you talk to him, he probably in the old country, you know, in the old country back in the day, in the Bronx, played a little stickball, and I bet he was in some scraps. So, you know, I could just, you know, hey, you you know, Tony Fauci from the Bronx. Okay, so, is his name Anthony? Yeah, it's Anthony, right? The CDC was asked if they could allow labs to do their own tests, and they said no, because they're not allowed to say yes, because the bureaucracy has rules, and the bureaucracy won't just bend rules. Now, that's probably where Trump should have put out an executive order for the CDC to be able to expedite any test requests, and not just test requests, but the ability to set up a test and do it remotely, because there are a lot of state labs that have the ability to do this. I will say, Governor Cuomo, who I've given a hard time to many times, and I think rightly so in the past, Governor Cuomo seems like he's on this. You know, I I believe strongly that, you know, the Democrats, and you're seeing this from the Democrat executive leadership roles a lot more than you're seeing. The legislators are all doing the Schumer. Trump is terrible. He can't handle it. We're all going to die because Trump. That's what Schumer's doing, which is disgusting. Same thing with, hey, Pelosi, if I was in charge. Yeah. If you were in charge, you'd have to wake you up from a Chardonnay nap. But uh, 
Newsom seems like he's on it. Uh, Cuomo seems like he's on it, and th- I'm thankful about that. You know, I don't see them. I don't see them taking cheap shots. Maybe that'll it will change at some point. But I, I think while we're in the midst of this pandemic, you know, they're they're on our side. They're on our team, and and they're making that pretty clear from their public actions. Cuomo set up a drive-through clinic just like South Korea has here in New York. And now they're prioritizing people from Neurochelle, which has been the hardest hit. And they're prioritizing um, anybody with symptoms over people that just think they may have been exposed. But we got a drive-through where you'll be able to go, sample. You're in your car. You don't have to deal with anybody, be exposed to anybody. That's the kind of stuff we need. We need ingenuity. We need people to be thinking outside the box to use the resources we have most effectively. And the CDC, I hate to say it, got in the way of that. CDC slowed down, slowed down a lab in Washington State that wanted to start doing testing. Not good. The CDC slowed down, uh, you know, the, the processing of this stuff. I mean, there's been a lot of there's been a lot of bureaucratic red tape at a time when, man, we should be taking a chainsaw to red tape. And if there's ever a time where you could expect that government would finally wake up and be like, OK, we just got to do what we need to do here. You know, I'm hoping that we have a vaccine in a year. And I mean, I think that the press like I, Trump is a guy who understands incentives. You know, we we should say you know whoever whoever gets a vaccine, I mean, would anybody? I'm just gonna put this out there. I don't even know how the, how the mechanism for this. People have talked about bounties for curing diseases before, but would anybody object to you know uh, whatever you get to sell your vaccine and the government's gonna reimburse you for that fine? We, we should put a three or four or five billion dollar bounty on top of whoever cures this thing, whoever gets the cure in gets it done the fastest. I, I don't see why that's. Think about how much money that would save the government. I mean, so it shouldn't, you know, the market is working here, but there's all these regulations and everything else. Maybe a little, a little bit, a little bit of a in, extra incentive. I would be all for it. Because remember, this is not, this is like a foreign invasion. This is not standard market stuff. This goes beyond that, right? You know, it's kind of like if you see a marketplace that's operating and, you know, you want to have rules and contracts and people in free exchange and they can buy or not buy and do all these things. If somebody shows up with a flamethrower to light the whole market on fire, that's when the government has to step in, right? That's that's when you actually want something other than just like the free exchange of goods and services. And this virus is 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 like that flamethrower. I mean, this virus is trying to just burn it all down. So we do need now. There's a role for government. There's a role for every individual, and there's a role for everything in between. And as I've been saying, you are responsible for your health. This is one thing that I've had to learn because I've had many frustrating experiences with the medical community. And some doctors who listen to the show have told me, you know, that they think that that's, that's not representative or whatever. And that's fine. I just can only speak from my own experience. I, I find that modern medicine can be great. It can also be really, really disappointing because of the system we have, because of the incentive structure, because of healthcare, the way it is. And, you know, the bureaucratization of things when we really need people who are allowed to heal and focus and work with people. So uh, that's that's good to see in New York. We have the localization of approaches, and this is where the federalist system we have, the genius of that federalist system. The federal government's doing its thing, you know, put out, has to put some funding in place, maybe some broad rules of the road. But every community should be coming up with what, what they do here. And we're also going to be learning. Some communities will do things that work, some won't. And those communities will, will unfortunately pay a price based on those decisions. But that also allows other communities to say, whoa, okay, so this place – did this and that worked out pretty well this other place didn't and this is where everyone starts looking at uh, 
the flu pandemic of 1918, Spanish flu, where I believe at the time Philadelphia and St. Louis were the third and fourth largest cities in the country, respectively. I didn't realize St. Louis was ever that big comparatively, but, you know, I guess this is what this is what I've read. So I'm assuming it's and Philadelphia makes sense to me. But you didn't have the explosion of population on the West Coast cities like California and, and I'm sorry, like uh, San Francisco and Los Angeles until into the 20th, you know, in the 1920s, 1930s, 1940s. So uh, Philadelphia did not take the kind of quarantine shutdown measures that we've seen. And uh, St. Louis did, and St. Louis had a much better outcome from that flu than Philadelphia, right? So you see that different cities make different decisions, and that will affect them. So the local has become very important. And now we've got to get to Wuhan virus and why we call it that. You're in the Freedom Hut. This is the Buck Sexton Show podcast. World Health Organization now has officially, officially declared COVID-19 a pandemic. Downplaying it, being overly dismissive, or spreading misinformation is only going to hurt us and further advantage the spread of the disease. But neither should we panic or fall back on xenophobia. Labeling COVID-19 a foreign virus does not displace accountability for the misjudgments that have been taken thus far by the Trump administration. Let me be crystal clear. The coronavirus does not have a political affiliation. It will infect Republicans, independents, and Democrats alike. It will not discriminate based on national origin, race, gender, or zip code. It will touch people in positions of power, as well as most vulnerable in our society. And it will not stop. Banning all travel from Europe or any other part of the world may slow it, but as we've seen, it will not stop it. And travel restrictions based on favoritism and politics rather than risk will be counterproductive. Uh, Joe Biden is not a strategic mind. Yeah, and I, so I'm trying to avoid that he's a blundering buffoon and a moron who is corrupt and all that stuff today. There'll be other days where I say that more openly because I think that that's all true. But uh, Joe, Joe Biden is not somebody that I think we should listen to on this at all. And also, his there's a lot that he says there. He's trying to do the travel restrictions. He's basically saying this isn't political, and then he tries to take all these political shots at the administration, as though we're not clever enough to figure that out. Uh, but when he says that uh, coronavirus... See, I just did it. COVID-19, as he calls it, has no nationality or we, sh- we shouldn't fall victim to xenophobia. That is Chinese propaganda right now from the Chinese government. In fact, the Chinese government has already produced a book that they're distributing. And I believe they've already translated it in different languages. Fox News has a story about this, that America is responsible for this. And maybe America even did this on purpose. They're telling the Chinese people this. Now, a lot of the more sophisticated Uh, Chinese news consumers are going to be like, come on, this is more the Communist Party. But a lot of them won't. A lot of them will think that maybe they've been through this horrible scenario because of nefarious American activity. My friends, Trump is the first president to realize what we're really dealing with when it comes to China and the confrontation that looms on the horizon here of two superpowers. It's us and them, and they want to be number one. They want to be the hegemon. That's very clear from everybody who's paying attention to what's going on in that country. And I even said when I was there and talking to people who are in the business community in China, there's been a shift from the Chinese culturally, uh, politically, and from a from a 
just a news consumer perspective, thinking America's great, American markets are awesome, American, you know, Coca-Cola's delicious and McDonald's is wonderful and all that kind of stuff that we've, all the globalization, ooh, look at this, to, no, we're better than America. They're kind of lazy, they're kind of slow, and we're going to defeat them, and uh, we're rivals, and in fact, we're better than they are. There's been a shift in their thinking, and the Chinese Communist Party knows this, and they're also going to have to deal with a lot of economic displacement in their own country. A lot of people are upset. And totalitarian regimes know that the narrative that they, even if they have to force it down people's throats, the narrative of regime self-preservation is very important. And we are going to see that continue to be uh, an issue here. We're going to see them try to convince their own population and as much as the rest of the world as they can that this is a, an American problem. No. This came from China. China lied about it. Because China lied about it, there was much more global spread. People in Italy got this. There's a large influx of tourists from China to Italy. Italy is one of the great tourist destinations, of course, for the whole world. But, you know, they, the Chinese government's lack of transparency on this issue had real consequences for other countries. And they're now trying to displace that into us. And that's unacceptable. This is the Wuhan virus. It comes from Wuhan City, China. That is what happened. And whether it, it escaped from a virology lab, which is, a, which is, I wouldn't say it's a conspiracy, it's a theory. It's happened before. So people say, oh, that would never happen. Well, they've lost other viruses that have gotten into the general population. They just didn't happen to be as bad as this one. But it, uh, it probably came from, from the animal trade there. As I said, there's, I think they call it uh, zoonotic transmission between different animal, different species. And, you know, maybe China needs to not allow people to eat like rare and endangered and, and bizarre animals as a regular practice. You know, we do, we do have laws here that, you know, you can't you can't keep livestock within city limits. There are reasons for that because we don't want people, you know, living next to pig pens and, and goat farms and all these things in very, very close quarters for reasons like this. And if you look at the way Chinese animal uh, Husbandry takes place, or you know, uh, what's what, livestock? The way that they, the proximity to livestock and the sanitary conditions. Chinese have a huge livestock industry, and particularly pork, pigs. Uh, that's why they were very upset about the swine flu epidemic the last time around because it, it really affected their their pork industry, and uh, that is something that China doesn't want to have to deal with or be held to account for. But, you know, Chinese practices when it comes to the sanitary conditions of their livestock industry, Chinese pollution, these are issues that affect the whole world. And China is not a good neighbor on this stuff at all. It's the opposite. And that's really where you're going to see this conflict, this, this continued friction play out in public. And that's why we call it the Wuhan virus, because that is what it is. It is a virus from Wuhan. We are now, producer Mark and I are thinking about how we get home safe from the center of New York City and what's going to happen to our loved ones and what's going to happen to our city and what's going to happen to our country and to our fellow Americans because of what happened in China and the way the Chinese government did not respond openly and with an eye toward humanitarianism and people first. We now, we are sitting here in New York City and because of what happened in in. Uh, Wuhan City, China, and the way the authorities reacted to what happened there, that's affecting all of our lives. It's affecting the lives of every single one of you who's listening to this. I know you're all making the same decisions. You all have the same concerns. And, you know, we're standing here just waiting to see, are we, you know, are we faced with a an onslaught or are we going to be able to turn back the tide? 
you know, uh, and this is, uh, well, we'll 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 have to see. I think next week is going to be tough. Thanks for listening to the Buck Sexton Show podcast. Remember to subscribe on Apple Podcast, the iHeartRadio app, or wherever you get your podcasts. Everybody, it's Friday. The country is uh, in in need of the the wit and wisdom of none other than the seven foot tall uh, guru of Texas. Mr. Jesse Kelly, who joins us now. He's also a host of I'm Right with Jesse Kelly on Pluto TV's Channel 248, The First. And uh, also he is of the Jesse Kelly Show, which is on KPRC Houston. The the great lead-in for the fantastic Buck Sexton Show, which is right after him in case. So people in Houston have six hours of radio they need to listen to every night. Jesse, great to have you on. It is good to be here. I don't know if everybody's going to appreciate my wisdom because I have a little different take on everything that's going on now than everyone else, but I'm giving it anyway. Well, that's what we're here for, man. We know that we can go unfiltered, uncensored with Jesse Kelly, uh, especially if we're taping it because then we can bleep out anything we have to, So, <laughs> which is always a smart move, I found out. So... Dude, I, I'll tell you this. You know, my 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 brother. I've got two brothers. They're they're the greatest dudes in the world. You'd want them in your foxhole. You'd want them at your party. Like they're great guys. My brother last night was at a uh, Whole Foods here, and he's like, I wonder. And he, you know, he texted me. He's like, I wonder what it's gonna be like in there. And he kind of it was kind of like that scene in a movie where he walks in and it's like, oh, it's very quiet. It's kind of civilized. And then he turned a corner and he and he and he started sending me photos in real time. Empty shelf, empty shelf, empty shelf. Oh, there's the vegan section, totally full. Empty shelf, empty shelf. <laughs> like, <laughs> what, what's it like down in Texas right now? Are people panic buying like that? No, no, and this is interesting. I had a conversation with somebody from Pennsylvania, somebody who lives, you know, not rural, but I mean, certainly not big city Pennsylvania, and I asked, hey, what's it like there? Are, are, the, are the shelves empty? Are people panicking? And this person told me, point blank, they said, no, they said they think all this panic everyone else is doing is ridiculous. Everybody's going about their lives relatively normally. And yesterday I went to an arcade. I took my sons to an arcade, which arcades are sweet now, by the way. I highly recommend it. I haven't done that in forever. Took my sons to an arcade, went to a gym, went to a restaurant, went to a grocery store. All of them I frequent regularly. The crowds were just as packed as normal. It's as if nothing has changed down here. And frankly, I love it. I think this the panic is absurd for a virus that is almost completely safe for people who are not old and sick. Now, if you work with somebody who's old and sick, you need to take extra precautions. If you're not somebody who's like that, yes, wash your hands more. But this hoarding things as if this is the Black Death Part 2 is the most absurd public panic I've ever seen in my entire life. Even if I had symptoms, I wouldn't go get tested because the virus isn't even dangerous. To now, I, I got to tell you, I remember it wasn't Hurricane Sandy, which did hit New York really, really badly. There was a hurricane, bef- a hurricane warning before that. Uh, maybe a, a couple of years. I don't even remember what it was called, but I do remember that I had friends who were acting on on the sort of uh, you know the advice of the, of the city and stuff. You know, in, in the middle of Manhattan, who were filling their bathtubs so that they could have access to fresh water. And then when the storm actually came, it was it was nothing. It was like some high wind. 
And that was one of these times. And we had all been told, you know, and the Whole Foods was just, it was like, you know, bougie fight night, man. I mean, people were in each other's faces. I went to one. Everybody was stocking up. They're all, you know, really, really freaked out. You know, I, I, I'm of a mind because I'm here in New York and I think you got to take this thing seriously. I also agree with you about the high risk population issue. And, you know, especially if someone like cares for their parents and their parents are in their 60s, yeah, 70s yeah. or 80s. Like, you know, that's yeah. a different situation. But the hoarding of food and particularly the hoarding of toilet paper. I mean, there's I just saw a tweet before where there I, I don't even where where's Summerlin. I don't even know where Summerlin is. And this is like I know more about Mideast geography than American geography. But they said there's like a three hour line to get into the Costco just to get in. Never mind to get out. Yeah, and, and think about that level of panic, Buck, for something that has killed. 40 people, and over 20 of those people were from the exact same nursing home in the state of Washington. Again, I am not saying this thing is nothing. It's not nothing. It is serious. It spreads like wildfire. If you are old with heart and lung problems, it is dangerous extremely for you. For everyone else, including children, there is no indication. This thing is in any way dangerous. In fact, all the numbers point to the fact the regular flu is more dangerous for you and me and kids than than, than this the Wuhan flu. And people are lining up at Costco, stocking up at to- on toilet paper like they're going to crap themselves to death. I find that to be the most ridiculous thing I've ever heard in my life. Yeah, I, Summerlin, by the way, is in Nevada. I didn't know. I just learned something new. A little, little American geography lesson for the Buckster in real time. Because like, I can't say things like that on air and not correct myself. i got to know where everything is. Although, whatever. We're not on radio in, in Summerlin, so work on that, Summerlin. Work on it. Uh, but, you know, i, I got to tell you, man, I, I think that next week we're really going to see. And, and I'm, I'm going to put this out there. I am hoping that I, I'm not preparing for this to be the case because I think that it would be. But, but there's a part of me that, that hopes that really this has been. The, you know, the, the, that it's like 20 or 30 percent the anxiety and the fear and the actions we're all taking are completely warranted. Because I think there is there, there is reason to do stuff and to get ready for this. No question. But I'm hoping that this has been magnified substantially by the media to the point where within a couple of weeks we'll be able to turn around and say, wow, they really were doing this because orange man bad and they hate Trump at some level. Not It's not entirely, but I think that they've I think that there's been a desire to exaggerate and exacerbate uh, so that they can they can hurt people or they can um, make fear worse than it would otherwise be based on the facts. Oh, no question. There's, there's some of that. Now, I'm actually not going to act like that's all of it, because the truth is, when it comes to diseases, they have a way of scaring the public in the way that other things don't. I mean, they're just they're, they're, the, the, the disease is one of those natural human fears because you can't see it. I mean, you can, all you know is all of a sudden you get it and you're dead. So it's something people are scared of. But the truth of the matter is we lose sight of the working man, too. I mean, everyone's talking about, oh, I can't fill out my March Madness bracket because they're canceling all these, you know, sports. They just canceled the Masters. And look, maybe that stuff's warranted. Maybe it's not. But it's not about the players and the millionaires and the owners. The people take a step back and think about how many people's livelihoods depend on. I've been talking regularly, hourly working people depend on these events going off. And without a second thought, everybody's just closing everything down. Well, that's fine for the billionaire golfer. Tiger Woods is going to be fine. What about the families that make their entire living, all their profit, off the Masters going off in Augusta? And it's gone now. I mean, I'm not saying there's no reason to close anything. But let's not just close everything willy-nilly because they really affect working people. 
Yeah, I worry about the the economic implications of this because, you know, there's some people who, you know, like we're continuing to work, right, and we're doing what we do. Um, but there are some people, and by the way, we're affected too because what keeps us on the air, right? Sponsors. What do sponsors do? They sell products to the public. So if people are are, you know, are not buying, fortunately, a lot of our sponsors you can buy online or you go online, right? I mean, not all of them, but a lot of them. That's the case. But it affects everybody economically. I mean, our form. Looking at your four hundred one k right now is just like a, a form of self torture. It's just a bad idea. Don't touch it. Don't look at it. Come back to me and right. Come back in a year or six months at least, maybe a year, and see how you're doing then. Um, but and by the way, it might be longer than that. It could be two years. But anyway, uh, but Jesse, I just want to know if you do have to engage in some self distancing, which it sounds like you're not going to. What is the Kelly family's like self distancing pastimes? What do you guys do? Uh, exactly what we did this morning. Uh, right now, I'm actually letting my boys play some video games. We spent the last hour out at the public park playing basketball. And we're just going to continue to live our lives. And if I have to continue with the Jesse Kelly show for my living room, then you guys are going to all see me in my pajamas. And they're pretty risque, let me tell you. Well, there we go, man. Um, by the way, speaking of risque. <laughs> yeah, you know where this is going. So, Mr. Jesse Kelly, you are well known for making jokes that make many of us, including me, laugh. But they're the kind of jokes that many of us are like, I don't know, like, I would always be, by the way, I actually got in trouble once just for responding to one of your jokes. So that's, you know, speaking of contagion, there's Jesse Kelly humor contagion. If you just respond to a Jesse Kelly joke, the wokeness will come after you. They're like, how dare you? It's Jesse Kelly. Mario. So Jesse's tweet was the fo- was the was the following. Hold on a second. In response to the the NCAA men's and women's tournaments will be held without fans and only essential staff and limited family in attendance, Jesse wrote, quote, with a heavy heart, I must announce that nobody will attend the NCAA women's basketball tournament for the 40th consecutive year, end quote. Jesse, what has the response to this tweet been like? It has been an endless barrage of ESPN, female ESPN personalities, WNBA players, and every local hack radio white knight trying to trying to try to scold me on behalf of the local women's team, trying to tell me how wonderful women's basketball is. And women's basketball sucks. And everybody knows women's basketball sucks. And it's not like I have anything against women playing it. I think that's great. Uh, it gets everybody in good shape and looking good, and that's really important. But my thing is, don't don't insist that I acknowledge something is enjoyable to watch when it's not. You brought up women's tennis when we were talking earlier. Like you said, that's a good product. Women's basketball, basketball itself is such an athletic game. It's running, it's jumping, and people watch sports to see things that they can't do, that they don't feel like they would be able to do. And the truth of the matter is women's basketball is boring because women aren't as physically athletic as men. That's not even close to being controversial. That's a fact. The truth is the average high school player or the best player in the WNBA couldn't make the top 40 high school basketball men's teams in this country. And that's a fact. That's just a fact. It's a sport about athleticism. Yeah, no. So I want, I want to ask you, why do all these people then, especially those who make a living commenting on sports? I mean, I, I, I we, we did when we were talking right before, um, you know, right, right in the break. You know, I'm I'm an avid tennis player. I love tennis. I've been playing my whole life. Women's tennis is a is a great product. I mean, and those women, by the way, would beat 
99.999%, you know, at the professional level, they'd beat anybody who wasn't at least a men's D1 college level player, any female on the tour. And those are guys who are really, really good at tennis. And there are even some women like Serena Williams who would beat pretty much all, you know, D1 tennis player guys and could probably beat up to the top 100 or so of men on the tour. So there's just this, it's a different sport. There's greater parity because as you point out, you know, it's not just, you know, there's not quite the same focus on size, speed, strength um why is it that people get so upset <laughs> i mean like i you know i i think the wmba is a boring product to watch too why can't i say it's just an opinion about an entertainment like why can't i say if i don't like a movie i can say that why although you can't with the all-female ghostbusters which i guess is kind of answering my own question here why can't you say the wmba is boring jesse here's why and this actually points to a larger societal problem We have watched the leftists, the social justice warriors, completely reorder society. And they've been successful. It's not like they're trying. They've done it. They've completely reordered society. And they've done it in such a way to where what's up is now down, what's left is now right. And you are not allowed to say the sky is blue anymore. If they decide that women's basketball is just as good as the men's, then you're not allowed to say otherwise. Though if they decide that the sky is green and the sky is green and the sky is green and if you dare to step up and say uh, the sky is blue, they will try to bully you and shut you up from acknowledging the simple fact that everybody else on earth can see. And it's why I always win when I get in these little dust-ups with them because in the end, I'm right. Yeah, you. I mean, on this one, I, <laughs> I saw your apology too, which I appreciated. <laughs> but uh, you know, it, look, I mean, if and also by the way, I'm not telling anybody don't watch the WNBA, you know, or you can watch. Oh, great if someone really enjoys it. But you and I both know, like, the people who enjoy women's professional basketball are either women who play basketball a lot or people who have family members who are like playing in college or something like that and uh, the stands are pretty empty at a lot of those games and i also think that people like take their daughters to it because it's become this like parents will take their daughters to the wma because it's become this kind of girl power thing which i don't really understand why they wouldn't do that with other, well, they don't do that with other sports Oh, there's no question. And there's more towards basketball. Basketball, even the men's, even NBA, basketball's always been a little bit more woke, if you will, than the other sports. So there's this real I am woman, hear me roar thing to it. And like you said, look, if you want to go to a WNBA game, that's fine. A lot of people love hurting themselves. All right, everybody. Jesse Kelly, he's going to be grilling steaks, hanging out with the fam, playing video games, going to the arcade and the gym this weekend. He is not worried, but uh, he's right with Jesse Kelly is the show that he has on Pluto TV, Channel 248, the first. If you haven't, guys, especially right now, entertainment is going to be really valuable in the weeks ahead. Download that Pluto TV app and you can watch me. You can watch Jesse, Dana Lash. So do check that out. And also KPRC Houston, you get Jesse Kelly followed by Buck Sexton. So from like, what is it? Seven Eastern all the way up until like midnight. It's just awesomeness. Yeah, it's, it's, that's a lot of greatness on the radio right there. It is indeed. Jesse Kelly, everybody. Jesse, thanks, my man. Be safe. See you, boss. You're in the Freedom Hut. This is the Buck Sexton Show podcast. Somebody said to me, you know, when you elbow bump, you get close to the person. So forget any physical uh, contact, greetings. Bow in a Eastern, uh, Eastern style. Bow in the Eastern style, Nancy Pelosi says. I, I will say if if this means that, they, you know, that I've never been a big, I'm just going to say it. 
I've never been a big handshake person. And I know that it's like it's supposed to be like kind of a manly thing for a lot of people. Oh, handshake and you know. Also, when people in the past, I mean, I give a normal, I don't I don't do like a you know a a, a weak handshake, but people that like squeeze my hand aggressively, I'm like, okay, do do you wanna do you wanna see who can punch harder? Like, why are you trying to make my hand uncomfortable? I don't I don't like it. I've I've never been somebody that you know, is, is, a, is a big hand. I know there's a handshake deal and there's all this stuff out there. I'm not a big handshake person. Never really have been. Um, so we'll have to. And, and it does. In moments like this, you got to ask yourself, what are we doing here? Why, why are we why would we continue to have handshakes? Elbow touching is bizarre, obviously. I think I think some form of, you know, if you want some form of salute would be fine. I think if you want to be a little more formal, a little more respectful. Um, that that would make sense to me. I think if everyone walked around kind of giving a salute, I, I you know it's the same reason I like to call everyone sir and ma'am. Until I know you, you're sir and ma'am. I feel like I even call Bruce and Mark sometimes sir, just because you know he's producer Mark, and if I don't, he'll get surly. So you know you, you got to be able to adapt under the circumstances here, um, and I think that making sure that you don't have to shake everybody's hand, and it's also you know look. A lot of people you see when you're in like the airport restroom and you see people coming out of there. Hand washing reminders that we're seeing right now. It's not just for it's not just for Wuhan virus. You know, the hand washing reminders should be out there for everybody on everything. There's a reason why they have those up. I'm always in a restaurant bathroom. I'm like, why do they have to have this employees must wash hands thing? Because some people need to be reminded. So I'm I'm all for changing this up a little bit. And this is where I'll start to bring up more of the uh, the aftermath of uh, Spanish flu and how that affected our culture in really uh, really important ways. So that'll be something we got to do next week. This, this topic's obviously not going anywhere, so I'll have a lot of time to spend with you on all of that. But the uh, the getting fresh air and being out in the sun and all this actually a lot of it is a legacy. Of of our our battle with uh, with Spanish influenza, so that's something to keep in mind here. That there's going to be there's going to be things that even after this disease passes, are changed in our culture, and and there'll be cultural references and touchstones that we'll be aware of long after this is gone. So uh, look, I, I've been saying to you, and I want you all to make sure you have a great weekend. I also want to get into your thoughts on all this. I'm sure there's going to be a lot of that. We did talk, unfortunately. Right now, there are more impressing concerns. We did talk about getting a voicemail box set up for all of you so you can call and we can hear you and play your audio on the show. We are going to do that, but first, we got to make sure the world doesn't collapse. So that's on the back burner, but it is on the burner. So we will get to it. Thanks for listening to the Buck Sexton Show podcast. Remember to subscribe on Apple Podcasts, the iHeartRadio app, or wherever you get your podcasts. Team Buck, it's time for Roll Call. Team, I'm going to want to hear from you a lot in the weeks ahead. You guys might be, especially if we go into lockdown mode here in New York, the team, we're, the show is going to continue. Don't worry about that. But, you know, you're going to be my uh, my contact with you. I'm not going to be able to see family. We're going to be we're going to be self-distanced from from family here in New York. Uh, at least I'm going to self-distance from family. You're not even going to get to see me. That's probably true. I will FaceTime, though. Why? Just so you can see my smiling face. I don't want you to miss me, too. I know what you look like. Ouch. So, yeah, there's going to be a little bit of a, of a lack of human 
connectivity for a while here in the city. That's going to happen for at least a few weeks. So hearing from all of you is going to be really uh, helpful and helpful for the show. But also, look, I'm going to want to hear from you across the country. Tell me, you know, I want to hear what you guys are going through. I want to hear if you're scared, if you're not scared. I want to see if there's lines at the store or not. If, you know, the local schools have shut down. One thing I think might be an outcome I was mentioning before some of the the cultural and political takeaways from all this. One thing that I think is um, going to be very relevant here is a lot of people are going to have their kids at home that, that aren't used to that because the schools are closing. I mean, are all schools in New York about to close or where are we at the public schools? No, it's if you have a case, it closes open. for the day. Yeah. They're keeping the schools open for now. But some places, I think the schools are, I, I, somebody told me that his kid's school in Baltimore was shut down for three weeks. Yeah, I think the worry in New York City is that a lot of, there's 100,000 kids that are homeless and rely on meals right. from the schools. So they so have to keep them open as them. kind of a, really as a um, support system, support network for, for children here. So you have, um, uh, you know, I, w- I want to hear from all of you across the country. I mean, you guys are going to be giving us, I-, I want you to be my frontline correspondence for what you're seeing, you know, whether it's up in, in Portland, down in Austin, out in Boston, in Fort Wayne, in uh, Baltimore, and you know, you name it. All our, we have affiliates all across the country. I'm going to want to hear from you. And if you're listening to the iHeart app in the middle of wherever, all you need is cell service, right? You're listening in central Montana. To I think we're actually on a station in Montana somewhere. But um, anyway, yeah, no, I'm just saying we're we're on 160, so it's hard to keep track. All right, Elam. Hey, Buck, for the last four months, I've been working in a mind-numbing and soul-destroying contract role, and the light at the end of the tunnel the every every day has been your podcast show. Thank you so much, Yalam. I really appreciate that, man. I arrived for my 9-to-5 job to keep ahead of the curve. Earphones in, head down, always moving forward. Good for you, man. Stay in the fight. I finish in four weeks' time. However, you will continue to be my daily podcast show so that I can hopefully watch your name and brand grow from strength to strength. Thank you so much, Elam. I really appreciate all that. Your Bernie impressions, the millionaires and the billionaires, have given me many morning chuckles, as well as your interactions with producer Mark. You two make for a good team. Keep up the good work, and thank you again for being that familiar and dependable voice in my earphones every day. Elam, absolutely, my man. Shields high, and thank you so much. Great to have you on the team, and uh, it's an honor that I get to keep you informed, entertained, and keep you, honestly, just keep you company. Um, and I'm somebody who, because I was such a longtime radio listener, I, I know what it's like when you develop that you know that that feeling of community you have when the host i mean for me it was rush when the host of that show is your connection to all these other like-minded people across the country it's a look it's a special thing um and plus i got producer mark does anybody else yeah. have producer mark you won as wonderful lottery. as wonderful and as incredible as, as the rush limbaugh show is do they have a producer mark they don't I mean, they do have Mr. Snurdly, who's pretty awesome. You ever met Snurdly? I have not. He's actually great. I, you, you guys would get along, him. too. Snur- Mr. Snurdly is no BS. Isn't he in Florida with Rush? Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah so. But I'm just saying. Yeah, yeah. You know, One day we'll meet. Yeah. he's um, He is a little larger than you are. I think he's about 6'4"-ish. Mm. He's a big fellow. People would, The name Mr. Snurdly does not evoke a man who I believe is about 6'3 or 6'4", and... I mean, he looks like he could be a D-end on the Giants. He's a large guy. Sure. Yeah, yeah, I'm just saying. But I will not mess with the guy. Yeah, yeah I'm saying, yeah, don't pick a fight not with Not that Snurdly. I plan to. But no, no, of course. Dude, yeah. You guys would love each other. All right. Um, Jim writes, hey, Buck, I'm a, lebr- I'm a 
uh, liberal, pardon me. I'm a medical laboratory scientist at a major hospital system in the Michigan area. So my coworkers and I handle all the testing starting today. Since there were two cases yesterday on the other side of the state, people in the healthcare system are in full-blown panic mode. All non-clinical staff are to work from home till future notice. All entrances are locked except one, which is fully manned with a screening team. All people are screened upon entrance. If people come in and have symptoms, the room is shut down for two hours after they leave, and then cleaning starts. It's crazy how much panic the government and corporations are stirring up. To make it all worse from Sunday till today, I've not only seen the first positive flu A tests I've seen all year, the rest of the season has been mostly flu B. But out of the 50 states I've run, over 50% of 50 tests I've run, over 50% have been positive. So the system will be stressed even more with the giant uptick in flu. Just wanted to give you some info from someone who is dealing with this disaster. My overall assessment is the media and the Dems see this as their last and best chance to beat Trump in November. The public be damned. I've also passed the buck to eight other people and turned to you for their daily news coverage now. Shields high, fellow patriot. Well, Jim, man, you're on the front lines of this, and thank you for some insight into what we're seeing and also for passing the buck to other people it's a great help to us and it's an honor and i I, when i say i appreciate it i really do mean that uh even producer mark gets a big smile when we see the podcast numbers going up every month and they've only and they've only gone up about 50 percent in the last six months overall so only only 50 percent yeah i passed the buck yesterday really i got into an uber from the train station i can't use my car for whatever reason but uh and he was talking about rush so i go you know and he was complaining that he won't have any sports to listen to because they're all canceled. Yeah. So go, you know, if you need something to listen to in the car, Buck Sexton Show podcast. Bam! Yeah. Bruce or Mark even passes the buck. Look at me. Well done. High five for us. It's good. And now he'll know what I look like. Yeah, and it's nice because also now we, we, we hopefully can both continue to get paychecks to buy food. So when we're standing in line for hours and hours at Costco, at I, least our credit cards will work, will work. I can't even imagine doing it. That's where we're heading, I think. Oh. Uh, John... Oh, my gosh. Here we go. Wow. I just got... I, it's funny. I, as I'm here, I'm talking about this. Wow. They've just... Uh, they have told me that my... I ordered from a delivery service a few days ago, because that's very common in New York, and they're telling me that it's like basically missing everything. I just got that it was on here. Of course. I knew that. I knew that was going to happen. So no laundry detergent, no paper towel, the, all the things that I was hoping to just... I didn't order huge... I just ordered like one or two so I could have them for the next you know, week or sure. two. Nope. Out. I don't, um, know how, I don't know how that happens. I don't understand how they... You know, something's going on here. Are they like selling laundry detergent on the black market now? I, I don't know how I'm going to stock my new apartment. Yeah. Like whatever I don't have. Like, oh, well. Uh, I'm, I, am not, I am not pleased about this circumstance right now because I needed... Uh, I need laundry detergent. I've seen some tweets. If you go to a bodega, apparently they're fully stocked and empty. But all the grocery stores are packed and fully stocked and empty of people. But all the grocery stores are empty of food and have many people. Really? Yeah. I went to a market yesterday that will remain unnamed because I don't want everyone to like flock to it. It was I had everything totally normal. So I don't understand. But then my brother so, went to Whole Foods. Whole Foods, it looks oh, yeah. like like a, a, the ravaging hordes have come through and taken everything. So basically what I'm saying is stop being bougie, go to a bodega and get what you hey, need. Hey, great, dude. Yeah. I love bodegas. Local small business. I'll make it a bodega, by the way, for those of you who don't, it's like a, it's a Spanish word for a grocery. We have them here in New York, and they're often owned by uh, people from uh, Dominican immigrant families, Puerto Rican immigrant families, and bodegas are a commonplace thing here in New York. I feel like they don't have that everywhere. They, didn't have, they don't have delis in D.C., 
So, you know, they definitely don't have bodegas. D.C. is a weird town. It is a weird town. Everything closes at like 9 o'clock, mm. too. Uh, John. Hey, Buck. Greetings from the beautiful mountains of Idaho. A buddy and a coworker I've known for almost 20 years has been trying to pass me the buck for the last few years, but two hours of content was always a little too much to squeeze in my packed load for podcasts, but I'm glad I got over that hang-up. I look forward to the Freedom Hunt every day, even if I'm listening to it at 1.5 speed. Keep up the great work. Shields high. Well, John, thank you, man. Hey, listen to it as fast as you want. And for those of you that uh, that are you know listening and you want to kind of condense it, you can always try that and listen to 1.5% speed. I speak with enough pauses between what I say because I, I hate filler words because like I could like sit here and like I mean like totally like talk the way that like even some other I mean you know uh, radio hosts talk um, you know and they do, I, I don't like that I like precision of language I like people to be able to listen to what I'm saying and the words that I'm using have a purpose and the purpose is not to allow me to think of the next thing that I'm saying I just will take a moment to think about the next thing that I'm saying. I prefer that. Uh, I've actually, one thing that, one knock on me in the past has been sometimes people have been like, were you reading that monologue? And I've been like, no, I'm just talking. And they go, well, it sounds like you, and I'm like, well, do you think it sounds like a read? They go, no, but you're so few filler words that it, we assume that you were reading it, even if you were reading it really well and it didn't sound like a read in terms of tone. I don't know. Anyway, a little humble brag, a little pat on the back for the Buckster. Um, Let's see what we got here. And thank you, John, for that. I appreciate it. Andy writes, hey, Buck, on your talk... I knew we were going to get some toilet paper action. On your talk about toilet paper, during college and at work, I bring in my own toilet paper from home. My university and workplace has cardboard for toilet paper, and I eat a good amount if you get my drift. What? What what does that mean? I think he's saying he poops a lot, Buck. Oh, eat a good amount, period. I'm sorry. (laughs) I thought he meant eat a good amount of... Pardon me. I'm sorry. That was bad. I thought he was saying eat a good amount of, of of cardboard for toilet paper. I don't think he eats the toilet paper. No, I understand, yes. but that's why I was so confused. My, yeah. my workplace workplace has cardboard for toilet paper, and I eat a good amount. That, that uh, Okay, the gra- it's a grammar issue. It's okay. a grammar issue. Eat a good amount of what? Now I get it. Eat a good amount. Okay, yeah. whoa. Yeah, Pardon yeah, me, yeah. team. Sorry, I hope you're not having lunch. Um, I'm guessing the TP the TP run is because people think they have to quarantine for two weeks and they want to be prepared. You're the man. No, Andy, you're the man. I, I think you're correct. I just think that that's, you know, they can keep the shelf stocked if everyone just buys what they need. You know, look, if you want to buy what you need for the week, I get it. But to buy what you need for the month, if, if our shelves are all bare in a month, we got bigger problems than just whether or not you bought a month's worth of stuff. So I don't think that that's where we are. I will say that I, when I started in the media business a long time ago, I worked for Glenn Beck, and you know we did a lot of. There was a lot of talk there, and, and Glenn would talk a lot about about being prepared. And the people that are that tend to focus on preparation are not the kind of in your, you know, they're not like in your face, haha kind of people. But I think a lot of them right now are kind of like, yep, knew this was coming. Got six months worth of food in the basement, plenty of fresh water, a generator, ammunition, and we're fine. I'm just going to say it because they're not going to say it. But I know a lot of them are kind of like, hey, hey, hey. And we, meanwhile, in, in New York here, us, us bougie New Yorkers are like, oh, good heavens, the Whole Foods is running short on seitan and tofu. We'll be all right. I hope. You're in the Freedom Hut. This is the Buck Sexton Show podcast. 
Chris writes, hey, Buck, as an English major back in college, I can appreciate all of your recent book recommendations. I always had thought that I have read 1984 back in high school, but it turns out I read Animal Farm. The only way of knowing that was by the fact that I save all my books that I've read. It's a goal of mine to one day have a whole collection and a nice bookshelf in my future home, probably not in my home state of California at the rate of housing costs nowadays. I'm curious, do you do the same in terms of saving all of your books? I like to refer back to them whenever I need as resources. Uh, Very good question, Chris, and thank you for writing in. I used to save all my books, but I've moved so many times, and books are so heavy when you have a lot. When I used to have multiple full bookshelves uh bookshelves bookshelf bookshelves uh, and i just i got so tired of carrying them and also finding a place for them in my tiny apartments because uh, i am not a wealthy man so i uh had to i gave a lot away and and i really did i, I don't throw them out I, I would take i took whole um loads I would use like rolling rolling duffel bags and fill them with books and take over a couple at a time to a place called the Strand Bookstore here in New York City where they'll pay you for some of your books but really they're just going to like take them off your hands and then try to resell them or find a place for them um, so I really appreciate that the Strand does that you know you go in there you're like ah these books are uh, they're very they're very wonderful and I'm expecting to get a lot of money for them and they'll go through like 50 of your books and they'll say okay great um, here's a check for three dollars and you're like, ah, not worth what I thought it was. So I do not hang on to all. I hang on to books that have particular sentimental value, anything that's been inscribed by the author. Um, I have a number of books that, you know, the author has written a little note to me or something. I keep those, obviously. But and other books that I just feel like you got to have. But maybe I'll maybe I'll take a, some photos. I've, I've done this before. And some people get mad at me because I say I don't do this, but uh, and then I always do it. I can take some photos of my bookshelves because, we're guys, we're going to need to all hunker down a bit and get used to a lot of things being closed, and it's a great time to knock off some books from your reading shelf or from uh, the stack. i got the stack next to the bed, although now I'm a little bit more clean, so I don't really do that. I kind of have a stack that's next to the stack of books in my bookshelf, um, but I'll, I'll take a photo of what I have on the shelf, and uh, yeah. And I, mostly I read from Kindle, too, because I like to read at night before I go to sleep. It's, it helps me fall asleep. And uh, I can't, with the light on reading, uh, I, that, that makes it harder for me to fall asleep. But with a Kindle, man, I could pass out in 15 minutes. So, yeah. Um, Tom. While everyone in the media is consumed by the hysteria of the COVID-19 virus and the free fall of the stock market, the American judicial system is returning to status quo and sweeping all the crimes of the past eight years under the rug. A.G. Barr has given the nod to continuation of the Pfizer program, no changes to FBI cover-ups, and no serious no serious charges against anyone from the deep state for all the egregious crimes committed against the American people by institutionalized corruption in America. There may be more information coming that explains what happened today, but at the moment it appears that American citizens and our Constitution are getting screwed again. I'm with Lou Dobbs on this one. There should be outrage, but instead we're told to lack, the lack of real justice is the new normal. Any thoughts on this? Shields High Buck. Uh, by the way, uh, I know that there are some people who work in conservative media at certain websites who listen to this show. I know this for a fact, listen to the show every day on one and a half speed for ideas, for articles and things. So I always appreciate that. I'm, I'm happy to help the movement in that way. Uh, and I mean that I'm not being, I'm not being sarcastic. I really do appreciate that. And I'm happy to help people out. Uh, Tom, yeah, I mean, we're not going to see justice for the spying against Trump. In fact, they're probably going to try to do it again in the next election. And I know that that's like not what people want to hear, but I tell you the truth, even when I think it's not what people want to hear, there will not be justice for this. I think the uh, the left doesn't care what 
the Durham probe says uh, the AG, uh, the um, AUSA in Connecticut, or no, the yeah, the U.S. attorney, not the AUSA, the U.S. attorney in Connecticut, Durham, who's on this. It's not going to be enough. Uh, so yeah, I wouldn't hold your breath on that one, my man. So everybody, um, we are making contingencies to make sure the show stays on the air every day, no matter what happens, come what may. Uh, we are going to be thinking about all of you over the weekend. Producer Mark and I send you our. Uh, our biggest, warmest, I was going to say hugs, but I guess we can't touch. But, you know, we're thinking about you guys, and uh, we're, we're praying for all of you. We're all going to be fine. We're going to come through this. We're going to have some celebratory shows in a few months where we can talk about how we're all past this. Take care of yourself. Take this seriously. And uh, remember our, our rallying cry. Remember our battle cry here on the show. Shields high.